Amen. That's a great testimony, huh? I like these testimonies. They do something to your heart, and, you know, the end of that, I know so many people have experienced similar things, even, even in this church, but, uh, but, man, that hope and that promise, I know that God comes to bring people, even dreams sometimes, you know, just to, just to comfort people in their pain and, and point them to the future that one day all this stuff is going to be taken care of, and we long for that as Christians, don't we? That's what we groan for in our inmost being is for Jesus Christ to return, make all things right, and establish his kingdom. Amen? Praise God. I appreciate everybody that uh, participates in those and gives their testimony. I know it can really bless a lot of folks. So the Lord's really been dealing with me uh, here lately. And sometimes when the Lord deals with me, I end up preaching a little bit harder than I actually should. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm just going to ask the Lord to help me uh, this morning. But I'm going to preach a a message. I'm going to start in a sermon series here just called Pray. And I thought I'd, I'd develop some kind of fancy sermon series title, but there's nothing more important than just, hey, just pray. And so that's what we want to move into. And this first message has got a big fancy title to it. Andrea laughed at me when I said it. It's the crystallization of discontent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it'll make sense in just a moment when we unpack it a little bit. Amen. So I'm going to read Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, you've probably not read the book of Habakkuk. Some of you maybe have, but as Donald Sims used to say, you better go ahead and read it because how are you going to walk up on Habakkuk in heaven and be like, I didn't read your book, man. Sorry about that. Uh, You don't want to do that. Um, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we need you so desperately, and oftentimes we say that, we don't even mean it. But God, we need you. And we need you to move in our hearts. And so I'm just asking that you help me this morning, Holy Spirit, to deliver this word and stir a fire in our hearts. Lord, stir a fire in our hearts for the possibilities of what you could do in our own lives and in our midst, in our community, in our church, among our families. Lord, among people who who need you and haven't even heard about you. Lord, stir a fire in our hearts for the possibilities if, if we just take a hold of what your will is in our lives and surrender completely to the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, there's, there's a discontent in a lot of hearts over a lot of different things, but I, we want to be discontent over the things that you're discontent about. And we want to believe you for greater things. And just as Habakkuk prayed, Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds, but we want you to repeat them in our day. So speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts, challenge us, convict us with your Holy Spirit. Bring us to a place of repentance. Change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love what it says here. Habakkuk, he gets to this point. They're in a dark season, if you read the entire book in Israel. And he gets to this point in chapter 3, and it says, This is a prayer of Habakkuk on Shigianoth. And Shigianoth's not a word that you use in your day-to-day life. You've probably not ever used that. But it means to praise with strong emotion and impassioned triumph. 
And part of the reason that a lot of times even I come in here on Sunday morning and, I, and honestly, I don't want to be in my flesh and I don't want people to react in their flesh. You guys know that I'm not interested in anybody getting crazy for crazy's sake. But I know the power of passionate prayer and praise. I've experienced it in my own life. And Shigianoth means to praise with strong emotion and impassioned triumph. The word itself has, has meanings in it that means to be emotional, to be frenzied and enthusiastic even. It is the opposite of being apathetic. And it means that basically he is so burdened and overwhelmed with the things that are going on in his life that it com he comes to a boiling point in his own heart where he's discontent about what is happening in Israel. He's discontent about what's happening with people's lives. He's discontent about the judgment that is coming upon Israel. And he stirs himself up into an emotional frenzy and he begins to sing out a prayer to God under the power of the Holy Spirit that is recorded in Scripture. And he says, Lord, I stand in all of your deeds and I want you to repeat them again in our day and in our time make them known. I don't just want to read about what you did with Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament. We need to see it now, God. We need to see who you are now in our day because it's as dark as we've ever seen it. And, I, and there's something about him being stirred into this emotional place where he cries out to God. I want you to imagine a prophet filled with God's Spirit crying out this prayer to God in song. And it's a prayer for awakening, awakening and it's a prayer... For spiritual renewal. I remember when I first got saved, it was like it was like I was almost a little bit angry. Because I'd been in church my whole life, and when I got saved and born again, man, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where my life was radically transformed. It wasn't like something where you went to church, you heard a good message, you said, you know what, I might try this Christian thing. No, I got whacked with the power of God. Amen. And when that happened, I got aggravated because I said, I've been around preachers. I've been around churchgoers my whole life. Nobody told me that there was a legitimate power, that there was so much more to Christianity than what I'd seen. Because all I'd ever seen is a few songs sung and a few messages preached. And basically people walk around with the same lives as everybody else. But there was something else. When I had an encounter with the living God, I got, I got so stirred to believe that there could be so much more that literally I'd go three days without eating. I'd go seven days without eating because I had such a hunger in my soul for the Spirit of God. And even now in my life, today in my life, the Holy Spirit deals with me on occasion. He says, Clay, do you, do you not realize that slowly you, you, you allow yourself to wane spiritually and you're not tending the fire. You're not fanning the flames of God in your heart. And there's still so much more. The amount you saw in the beginning is just a foretaste of what I could actually do in and through you and in and through the people around you. And I need you to stir those imaginations up. I need you to b begin to believe for greater things. I need you to begin to pray like you used to where you'd go into a dark, quiet place and you'd begin to cry out and you would weep tears because you wanted to see me move so badly. You didn't pray passive prayers. You didn't pray in a way that you, just, it, you were careless and thoughtless about what was going on around you. And so what happens to our world at this point, honestly, if there's not, I don't know if you know history, but they, they, they like to say that there's been two great spiritual awakenings in history. In the 1700s was the first great spiritual awakening, and in the, in the 1800s was the second great spiritual awakening. And somebody asked Oz Guinness, you know, he's a very smart guy, uh, he's written several books, I've read a couple of his books. Somebody said, you know, what's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen in the future? 
And he basically said, there's three things. He said, number one, will Islam modernize peacefully? Which that's not something that most people think about regularly. We're over here thinking about our stuff in eastern Kentucky. Number two, he said, what will take the place of communist China? And number three, he said, and this is probably the main thing on what's going to be happening in our future in America and throughout the world, is will there actually be a third spiritual awakening in the West? And a spiritual awakening is something that happens whenever, whenever basically revival hits so hard that you see people get, get, getting saved at an alarming rate, but they're not just going to church to be going to church. Their lives are changed. It impacts business. It impacts government. It impacts culture. And the morality shifts. Things that are played on TV change. Things that they say on the radio change. There's, it impacts culture when an awakening happens. And I, I wonder, you know, have you ever read about any of the revivals or the awakenings that have happened throughout history? I have, and it, it honestly it kind of just aggravates you. You ever read something and you're just like, well, that just made me mad. Because that ain't what I see in my life. <laughs> I want to see this in my life. And I read about these, these revivals, the Welsh revival, a guy named Evan Roberts. I read about him so many times. He was a coal miner in Wales over in the UK. And he, he cried to God for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to awaken him from 1 to 5 a.m. every morning for 10 to 11 years. The man prayed from 1 to 5 a.m. <laughs> Can you imagine? I think to myself, well, we ain't doing that, Lord. I mean, if you got to call us to do that, we ain't going to see revival. But see, what happened was he began to call on God, and God moved that in him. You're not going to wake up from 1 to 5 a.m. unless God moves it in you. But he said, God, we need a move. God, we need something to happen. And he was consistent in prayer, and he said, send the Holy Spirit for Jesus' sake. And he began to call prayer meetings where he said, we need confession of all known sin. We need repentance and restitution. We need obedience and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And we need public confession of Christ. And in those prayer meetings, all of a sudden, it birthed a revival and it began to spread throughout the entire kingdom. And people were saved at a drastic and alarming rate. Actually, matter of fact, he didn't know how to sustain it. It ended up impacting him negatively. There were so many people getting saved and so many people coming to church that it actually ended up, he had to take, he almost had a mental breakdown. It was so intense. God moving in their midst. There's another one called uh, Hernhut. It's the Moravians was the, the name of the people. And they sustained, it's a community. Uh, honestly, it started out with a community about this size, a church about this, about this size. It ended up becoming one of the greatest missions movements in world history. And they sustained a 100-year, 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting. 100 years, 24 hours a day, they prayed together. And they sent out 226 missionaries whenever it first started. And it caused one of the greatest missions movements in world history. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved because of it. In 1859, there was a revival in Ireland called the Ulster Revival. And working class citizens decided that, hey, when we get lunch breaks and when we get off in the evening, what we're going to do is we're not going to waste our time. We're going to pray. We're not going to eat lunch. We're going to gather together in the town square. We're going to pray together. When we get off of work, we're not going to go home just immediately. We're going to meet together and we're going to pray. And all of a sudden, because those, those working class citizens spent their time praying earnestly in intercession, it got to the point where one man made this statement. He said, the problem used to be getting people into churches, but now the problem is getting them out. 
He said, we can't get people to leave the churches because the power of God was so manifested in the churches that nobody ever wanted to leave. And when, when the revival actually broke out because of their prayer, their churches doubled in attendance overnight. People were convicted while they were at work and they didn't know what it was. And people would have to go to them and minister to them and say, this is what's going on. Imagine the presence of God sweeping through a community where when you just walk into a place, they're aware of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is at work convicting them. Now, I don't know when, oftentimes, listen, we don't even, I don't talk a lot about, about revival or awakening. I always didn't like it. Like we would go to some places sometimes, like people would invite me, they say, man, you need to go hear this guy preach. And he would get all, there'd be all this hype involved and the great awakening is coming. And I'm just like, Psh, yeah, prove it. Because I didn't believe them. I said, I've heard that stuff, I've heard that stuff, I've heard that stuff, but I've never seen the fruit that actually leads to that type of stuff. I've never seen people hungry enough to see a great awakening happen. I've never seen people actually, thir I've never seen people come to the altar and pray for longer than a minute and a half, and you're going to tell me awakening's coming? Amen. So, for City of Hope Church, I, that's, that's, see, I told you, I told you. I want to be gentle and nice this morning, but at the same time stir your passion. For our church, I want to say that there's a large gap between our destiny and our current reality. There's a large gap for this church between our destiny and our current reality. And I would agree with Matt. I think that there's amazing things happening at our church. I think in 2020 and 2021 specifically, we baptized more people than I've ever seen baptized in my life in individual years. Um, uh, we, we've seen our church grow. We've seen things. Our, our youth group, we launched it. It's growing. More and more kids are, are, are getting involved. And we're moving in a very positive direction. But see, I want you to understand something, that that's not something that we can be content with as the people of God. Just because we see, oh, it's a good church service. Oh, we've got some good musicians. Oh, we get to hear a good message every now and then. You can't be content with what God can actually do when your present reality is nowhere near what Scripture teaches God can do. Amen. And so a larger movement, what is spiritual awakening? It is a larger movement of the manifest kingdom of God that transforms individuals so radically and at such a high amount that it impacts and transforms society itself. You say, well, we're a long way from that. I'd say, I agree with you, but I want to sow the seeds that will point us in that direction. So when we're experiencing God, I want to give you a progression toward awakening. And this is kind of how we progress in it. Number one is regeneration. Now, this is just, and we see this happen, honestly, quite regularly. We're going to see some people get baptized in a few weeks, and what they've experienced is regeneration. That means that they were convicted of their sins, drawn by the Holy Spirit, to faith in Christ, and they were born again, and the light switch turned on, and they said, man, this Jesus is the real deal. I want to give my life to him. And there's a new birth in their heart, and everything changes. And then usually what that will move into is a place of restoration, where people that get saved, all of a sudden things that were broken down in their life, generational curses, alcoholism, whatever it is, all of a sudden those things are broken, and things in their life are restored. And then it moves in a little deeper and there's personal reformation. You realize that the way you used to live is not the way you need to live anymore. You, you hunger and thirst to walk with the Spirit and to produce love and, and maybe even to reach out and begin to share Jesus with your friends. And, you know, we got, we got a small group right now, Dan Gay's small group. 
They started out with a handful of people, and, and, and they said they had like 20-some here the last week. But what, what I see happening is usually among individuals, they, they come in among us, maybe a couple of them get saved, maybe they're stirred by what, the word that they're hearing, and what do they do? They, start to, they, they get a fire burning for God. They start to invite people into the family of God. People are stirred, and they hear the word of God, and something's changed. But see, there's others that they have no fire whatsoever. You can barely get them to invite anybody to anything. They, they have a hard time showing up themselves. There's no fire of God in their life. They're not even lukewarm. They're cold. They're cold. And we want to have a fire in our life, a personal reformation. But when you start to see personal reformation happen on a high level and people begin to get saved on a high level, you know what it leads to in the body of Christ? It leads to a place of renewal and revival. When you start to hear testimonies of, I used to be this, but God has changed me. I'm not just a church attender. My heart has changed. I'm different. I used to be an addict. I'm set free. I used to, be, I used to deal with this sickness. God has healed my body. I went through this season where I was mad and angry at God, but now something has happened and God has comforted me and healed me. And some of you need to hear me this morning. Some of you are hanging on to your sin because of maybe somebody in your life that is dragging you in another direction. But God is calling you now. Now is the time. You need to make a clean break. You need to make a clean break. You've been playing long enough and we're, we're, we're late in the ball game. And when you get late in the ball game, you've got to call a little bit more dangerous plays. And so that leads to renewal, it leads to revival. You start to sense God's presence in your midst. Maybe even in the church you start to sense, man, God's actually at work, something's changing. This is more than just going to church and hearing a sermon and going home and being dry through the week. But then all of a sudden revival moves and, and, and when revival starts to spread rapidly, one guy said it like this, Jonathan Edwards said that really what revival is is an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the normal work of the Holy Spirit is we have random, you have church services, and guess what? Randomly, somebody will get saved. Randomly, somebody will get healed. Randomly, God will move, and, and you'll hear a testimony of God doing something. But, but what he says is that it is, it is the acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit so that what happens in revival is that the amount of people that normally come to Christ in two years come to Christ in two months. He says all of a sudden it breaks out. And, and one of the things when you see revival is that there is a deep conviction of sin. See, I wonder if people even get convicted anymore sometimes. There are people who are Christians who do things that I, I wonder, are, are they even convicted about what, what's going on in their life, about what they're, what, they're, what they're experiencing, about what they're partaking in. But when that leads and it spreads throughout every sector of society, then you have awakening. And I'd say as a church, we're really on the very front end of this. Amen. We're all at the stage of regeneration. We're just doing our best to, to lead people into prayer and, and hope and pray that some people would get saved and come to Christ. And maybe that would impact our families. But I want us to begin to believe for greater things than that. Right now, honestly... If you look at the world, and when people talk about the church, and when people talk about what's going on in our world, there's a lot of doom and gloom. I mean, I don't know if you've realized this or not. Sometimes we just get really used to the things that are happening in the world. And uh, just, just, just in the last three years, you would have to agree with me that the things that we see on the news and, and the morality is at an all-time decline. I mean, it is declining at a rate that we've never seen before as far as morality goes. And the pressure to go along with it is at an all-time high. 
And you know what we do? We just sort of sit back and say, man, that's awful. That's terrible. We hate that. Wish it wasn't that way. And worst case scenario, we sort of rub shoulders with it and say, well, you know, I think I, I, I kind of agree with that. But yet we just, we just agree with it and we move in. There was a research organization, the Pine Tops. They did a report recently and they said this, before we blink, 40 million people will walk away from the church in just this generation of millennials. That even in our youth groups that we're raising up, what they believe is that, that because our youth groups have no power, our kids will actually grow up and as soon as they hit college, they're gone. That's what they believe. That's, that's what they're projecting. But you know what they titled their article? The Great Opportunity. Because they believe that in the great times of darkness throughout history, what happened is God would always stir, stir up one individual or maybe a handful of people that would say, no, 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 this ain't how it's supposed to be. And it's that crystallization of discontent. It's when people say, this ain't how it's supposed to be, and they actually get aggravated with what's going on that they begin to cry out to the Lord and call upon the name of the Lord. And this is what Habakkuk does in chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, that cry, that prayer in our time is actually a prayer. Have you ever read the scripture and just been like, man, Lord, I see what you've done. I see what you're capable of, but I'm not interested in reading the Bible like a history book or reading about these revivals that have happened, play, taken place throughout history. I want to see greater things than that in the here and now. I want to see you do something in my life. I want to see you do something in our church. I want to see you do something in southeastern Kentucky. I want to see you move here. I'm not content with going to church on Sunday and going home and being dried up. Amen. I don't know if you're stirred this morning or not, but this was a great time of decline for Israel. They had experienced extraordinary revival under King Josiah. And Josiah leads them into an awakening and God actually suspends his judgment. It's like that cry, in wrath, God, we know you're about to pour out your judgment on America because we've, we've all turned from you. The thing that we're doing is, 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 I mean, if you look at America, we are headed in an in a, in a unreal, ungodly direction. But he's saying, in wrath, God, remember mercy. Pour out your spirit one more time. Let's see you move one last time and turn the hearts of people that are going deep into darkness back to your love and your grace, God. In wrath, remember mercy. And he starts to cry this out. And see, this is the process of awakening. It's not a question really of how it happens, but really if you want it to, it can happen. It's up to us. Number one, it's the crystallization of dis discontent. And the reason I use that phrase is because it's a phrase that I read that psychologists now use today. And really the reason they use it is like, it's like if you are in a cult, amen, people around here talk about cults a lot, and, you, and one day you finally wake up and you realize, my gosh, I'm in a cult. And it messes with you so badly that you say, i got to get out of this. He says, that's the crystallization of discontent. You're in an abusive relationship. And you hang on for years being abused year after year after year after year. And finally you realize this person is not going to change no matter how hard I try. I'm leaving. Your discontent has been crystallized. And you're ready to move out. And see, the thing is, is that there's a lot of people in our world that are discontent today. You might even say you're discontent. And it's interesting because we use this language of contentment a lot. And, and contentment is biblical language. I want you to hear me out. Uh, contentment 
is very important in the Christian life when it comes to certain things. I want you to understand this. Like in Scripture, Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, you brought nothing into this world. It's certain you ain't taking nothing out of it. You ain't taking your Chevy with you. You ain't taking the new flooring you laid in your home. You will not take your golden ring. You brought nothing into this world. It's certain you're taking nothing out. He said, when you got food, you got clothing. He said, with such things, you need to be content. Paul said, I've learned no matter what state of life I'm in, if i got a lot of resources, if I ain't got a shirt on my back, he's, he said, I've, I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content with that. He said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So he teaches contentment when it comes to material things and resources, but he teaches a hunger and a thirst when it comes to righteousness and the kingdom of God. He says, you can't be content with how much God is moving in your midst. Be content with the clothing on your back. Be content with the house that you've got. Be content with the amount of money in your bank account. But do not be content with the fact that there are millions of souls out here that do not know Jesus. Don't lay back and be lazy when it comes to that. That's a different kind of contentment. And the problem is this, and I want you to hear me this morning. The reason we are content with the fact that God doesn't move in our midst and the reason we're content with the fact that people aren't getting saved or they're lost is because we're totally discontent with how much money we got and how many things we got and all we do is spend our time wanting more. Could we switch from getting more money and more things. Listen, God said if you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he would add all of those things to you. And the devil has flipped it in your mind and said, no, you need to pursue the world. And God said, no, you need to quit pursuing the world. You need to stop, start pursuing my kingdom. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because we need to see souls saved because time is running out. And our hearts are not turned toward the mission field. Our hearts come to church because we want God to do something for us. And I know this is a strong word, but like I said, sometimes you need a spiritual defibrillator. My heart's been beating wacky as all get out lately. <clears throat> I went to the heart doctor and everything. They put heart monitors on me. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. It beat just like that. There's a warning sign. <laughs> and I don't want to get overly spiritual. And I'm not saying this to brag, but we started praying and fasting here, just a few leaders here at the church together. And when that started, God is my witness, my heart started getting better. And it was almost, and I, I, felt, I felt like one morning the Holy Spirit said to me, Clay, you know what people need? They need a spiritual defibrillator to shock their heart back into rhythm. And so what I'm hoping this morning is that this word shocks your heart back into a godly rhythm. It shocks your heart back into a godly rhythm. And you realize that I have not even prayed for one lost individual. I've not even been believing God for one lost person to be saved. I've not shed a tear in prayer lately. And we need our hearts to come to this place where we have a crystallization or discontent. Because every move of God... Every awakening, every revival throughout history, if you look at it, it began with somebody who said, this cannot be the way that it's supposed to be. When I read scripture, God, the things that are going on, the moral decline, the way that churches are dry, nobody's getting saved. Lord, this is not how it's supposed to be. And their discontent led them to a place. It was like Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. He's sitting there, he's got a job, man, a cushy job. He's the king's cupbearer. 
All he got to do is hang out and be rich and every now and then go fill the king's cup up. But he hears that the walls in Jerusalem are being torn down and it says that he couldn't take it anymore. His discontent was crystallized and he began to weep and he mourned and he fasted many days. And he went to the king and he said, King, I can't live like this in luxury when the walls in Jerusalem are torn down. We've got to do something. And he went back and he began to rebuild the walls. But see, it's a solidification of purpose in the heart that is willing to push through into new territory. We want our discontentment to crystallize into, into resolve because here's the thing. You can go home and watch the news tonight and say, oh my gosh, it's terrible. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going on in our world. And oh my gosh, look at what the kids are doing nowadays. And then not even say one word of prayer about it. Not even bring it to God. You just sit and say, man, that's terrible. But you're not moved in your heart to intercede and believe that prayer could actually change something because secondly we we need a revelation of a promise for change and when you're moving toward awakening you're going to have a crystallization of discontent and in that discontent you're going to get a hold of a promise that God will give you for change in your life in the lives of people around you and see you can have discontent but your motives can be misguided a lot of people are discontent with here recently you've seen discontent with uh the government, and they go about that the wrong way. People are discontent with justice in America, and they go about that the wrong way. Burn down buildings, and riot, and get into warfare on Facebook and different things like that. Those are not the weapons of our warfare as Christians. Psalms 119 verse 107 says, I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to to your word. You want revival in your heart, you need to get in God's word. I don't know what to say to you. As a, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you don't open the Bible regularly, I don't know what to tell you this morning. You're not going to experience any transformation in your life. You're not going to experience any change. You mu- we live not by, the, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's crying out, Lord, I'm afflicted very much. I need you to revive me, but not according to the world's standards. I don't need like a Tony Robbins a message that just pumps me up and gets me excited. I don't need Stephen Furtick to pump me up. I need the Word of God to get in my heart and challenge me. Amen. Because I know how much y'all love hype. And I know how good it feels on Sunday mornings to get a word of hype and encouragement. But I'm telling you, a word of hype and encouragement will last you about 30 minutes outside this door. And then Monday morning you're going to wake up and you need the Word of God in your heart to revive you personally. Revival in the Hebrides, there's a book called Revival in the Hebrides by Duncan Campbell. And they had a promise that birthed the entire revival. You had a couple of old ladies that read this verse in Isaiah 44 verse 3. It said, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Their crystallization of discontent actually came from the fact that there were no young people in their church at all. It was just a bunch of old people going to church. It was, y'all ever walked into a church? I, listen, I pastored a church in a particular place, which I, that's a dead giveaway now because I've only pastored two churches. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be rude. But I went to that church for a while, and when I went in there, there was all, in the beginning when I first went, there was like an oppressive 
feeling to me. It was like a dryness. And i got to be honest with you, church, I go into places sometimes, I've walked in here on occasion and felt something remotely similar to it. I've been in churches where you walk in and the presence of God is just standard. It's, it's thick. You can feel it. I went into another church recently, visited, went at a night service, and literally it was so spiritually oppressive that I thought to myself, Lord, why are they even here? Now, I'd never say that out loud. I'm not a rude person usually. But my point is, is, that, is, that, is that when we realize who God is, what He can do, I don't know what you've had a taste of in your life. I don't know what you've experienced. But I've experienced the presence and the power of God that absolutely breaks chains. And I'm not content with going through the motions. I'm not content. And again, I'm not talking about people getting wild. Don't hear me saying that. I'm talking about the presence of God so manifest that you don't even have to be wild because it is wrecking you on the inside of your life. There's a passion stirred in you where you want to pray. There's a passion. You Look, you don't get the argument anymore. I've heard this too many times. Well, we're just Baptists. I don't care what you are. You need to drop your denomination and start serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time that we break religious shackles and strongholds and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to pursue God. I don't care what I used to be. I don't care what my old pastor said. I don't care what my new pastor says. I'm going after Jesus for myself, if it hair lips the devil. I'm going after Jesus for myself. There's got to be a passion that's stirred in you. And they had this cry, Lord, pour water on him who is thirsty. They got a corporate revelation that God had given them this promise and it was time for them to contend for it. And I can remember God giving me certain scriptures. I remember when I was messed up in my life, had no wisdom. I was reading every book under the sun. I was reading New Age religion. I was reading books by atheists. And I started reading the Bible. And I read, it, I read it in, in Proverbs one night where it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I began to cry out, God, teach me to fear you. I've got no wisdom. And God sent a lightning bolt to strike outside of my house that shook the building and absolutely got down into the core of my spirit and brought me to a place of repentance. But see, it happened from a cry because I was so discontent with the state of my current life. And that scripture jumped off the page. I remember crying out, praying and fasting for three days because the Lord had called me to preach. And I said, Lord, I got no wisdom. I don't even know scripture. I don't know what to do. And Proverbs 4, 7, it jumped off at me at the page and it said, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. I went three days praying and fasting, and I said, God, I need wisdom. If you've called me to preach, you've got to put the word in my heart, and you've got to give me a fire, because the last thing I want to do is stand up in front of people. I'm scared to death. And on the third day of that fast, I went to sleep, and I had a dream that I was in a coliseum, and I walked up these stairs with the Bible in my hand, and on each side were people with Bibles open, and when I got to the top, I saw the Lord Jesus Christ, and he took my Bible out of my hands, and he turned. To, to Timothy 2.15 and he said study to show yourself approved a workman unto God that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth he handed me the Bible back he put his hand on me and I woke up from the dream and I'm telling you that if we seek God God meets us he speaks to us and, I, and I, I guess the reason that I'm speaking this way this morning is because I realize the place that I'm in spiritually and I realize that it's so easy for us to get content with going through the motions, with being content with the fact that we've got a pretty good church with some pretty awesome people. And you know what? I love it. I love our church. I love our people. But I'm just saying that there's so much more that God has for us. So much more. And he's saying, I need you to seek me. 
I need you to think differently about what I can do in your life. I need you to think differently about your prayer life. I need you to think differently about your life in the Word. There's no more any excuses for you to not seek the face of the living God. There's no more excuses left for you. That's what I hear the Lord saying. Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. How many times I'm going to read this? I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, when you get a promise like that, this is a promise that I want us to hold on to. Lord, in our time, in our day, make your deeds known in our time. What if you prayed this every day? What if you took this verse and just prayed what Habakkuk prayed? Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. In our time, make them known. Renew your work in our day. Do it here. Do it in my life. Do it in my Read this in your home. Pray it out over your home. Because something happens too whenever you begin to get a promise from God because, you know, it's easy to critique and judge the world, isn't it? It's easy to sit in a church as dry as absolute cracker juice and then look at the rest of the world and judge and critique them. Nobody amen me on that. Isn't it though? And I'm not saying that y'all are dry as absolute cracker juice. I know that a lot of you are on fire for God. I know that. I know that. The reason I'm using this language is because we need a spiritual defibrillator. Just in case you are dry. Amen. Just in case you are dry to realize, let it be a shock to your soul that when this happens and you get a promise from God, number three, God turns you inward to repentance instead of outward to critique. We don't look at the world and say, man, the world's in terrible shape. No, we start to look inwardly at our own hearts and say, man, I'm in terrible shape. I don't know how much longer we can go like this. It's about your heart first. You quit judging people on the outside when, when you yourself has, has issues. Isaiah, when he had an encounter with God, he said, Lord, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He didn't judge the outer world, he judged his own heart. He judged his own mouth and his own speech. And the scripture says, well, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, our mistake is that we want, it, we want God to send revival on our terms. We want to get the power of God into our hands to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our kind of Christianity. We want still to be in charge guiding the chariot through the religious sky in the direction we want it to go, shouting glory to God, it is true, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves in a nice, inoffensive sort of way. We're calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our altars and not God's. The revival in the Hebrides, they got a conviction that they should pray, and so one of the deacons got with some elderly women and joined with them, and they decided they was going to pray three nights a week, get this, from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. for that promise that, Lord, you're going, to, you're going to pour water on the thirsty ground. Now, these people are crazy, aren't they? Seven months in to praying, it had sort of spread, and other people had gotten involved, and they were praying from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., three nights a week. Seven months in. First of all, I'm amazed that they prayed seven months in. Like, we'll do that for a week, maybe, you know what I'm saying? If it don't come in a week... My Lord, what are you asking us to do here, Clay? Seven months into this promise, a young deacon in the church, he has this revelation and he says, man, we've been praying this, but how can God use this? He says, are my hands clean? Am I pure? And he reads this verse out loud, Psalm 24, 4 through 5. He says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He says, I don't even know if we're a candidate for blessing. There's certain things in my heart, certain sins that I've got a disease about, but I've never actually repented of them. I've still got some things in my life that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to let go. I'm not willing to let go of my old religiosity. I'm not willing to respond to God when He calls me to obedience in Scripture. And he becomes so overwhelmed. The, the story that I read actually said that he fell into a repentance trance. I don't know what that is. It sounds crazy. But he fell into a repentance trance. And when this happened, he began to pour out it to God in repentance. And it hit like a wave in the community. And people got convicted. People were getting convicted in the streets, didn't even know why they were getting convicted. Heaven had broken open. It had just started to spread. And so many came to Christ and, and many were moving uh, into the churches at that point and getting saved. But see, this is an examination of what am I tolerating in my life? Are my hands actually clean? Is my heart pure? Have I lifted up my soul to idols? Are there things in my life that if I really get down to it, it comes before God and His mission? Now, all of us, including myself, I say, yes. Yes, Lord. I've lifted up my soul to idols. I've put things before you. I've, I've been spiritually complacent. And, and, and I allow that to bring me into a place of repentance. And see, this is not a word of condemnation. For me, this is a word of stirring. Because I begin, begin to understand that God is calling me into something that if I will respond, He will do a miraculous work in our hearts and lives. Number four, once we get that in that place of repentance, we contend for breakthrough. Because when you experience that cleansing of repentance and turning from sin, then you now have confidence to wrestle with God and come before Him boldly. I, you know, when Andre and I, sometimes we get in an argument, right? And if you all were ever around that, you'd say, well, man, sometimes they can get a little bit heated. Anybody amen me this morning? Like... You ever get a little bit heated with your spouse, and if, you, if somebody were to see it, you'd probably be a little bit embarrassed. Anybody amen me this morning? But you know why there's a little bit of difference? Now, obviously, you, there's got to be some restrictions. Y'all just don't want to fight and go off all the time. But there's things that I will say to Andrea and things Andrea will say to me that we would never say to another individual. You know why? Because we've got a covenant with one another. And there's an openness to press deep into the hearts of one another, to challenge the worst parts of who we are. To see the worst parts of who we are. And you've got a covenant with God like that. That you can bring all your worst stuff to God, but you can wrestle with God. You can be angry at God. Just like Casey was saying in her testimony. She was angry. because she didn't. But she wrestled with Him. She wasn't willing. She understood that this is a holy God. He's a good God, but I don't understand. So I need to wrestle with Him. I don't need to walk away with Him until He speaks to me. God, you, need, you heard her cry. God, you need to do something because I can't live like this. She's pulling on God. She's not content with the place that she's in. I love what it says in Isaiah 62. There's some intercessors that come. And Isaiah says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Notice what he says. I have set watchmen. On your walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord. Now I want you to see this. Where it says you who make mention of the Lord, literally in the Hebrew it's called the Lord's remembrancers. I like that. You who make mention of the Lord, the Lord's 
remembrancers, don't keep silent and give him no rest. Imagine somebody telling you to give God no rest. How does God even get weary? He's saying give God no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He's saying there's a certain group of people, watchmen that are set on the walls. They look at the world, they say this is not how it's supposed to be. This doesn't line up with scripture. This doesn't line up with the promise of God. And they call out to God day and night. They give him no rest and they say, Lord, this is not how it's supposed to be. You need to move in this situation. We're calling upon your name. Your glory is at stake here. Something is stirred in them and they call him to remembrance. They're the Lord's remembrance is saying, God, don't you remember when you said that you would pour out your spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters would prophesy in the last day? Don't you remember when you said that? Don't you remember when you said that our light would go forth like the morning and the glory of the Lord should be seen upon us in the greatest measure of darkness that this world has ever seen in Isaiah 60? You call him to his promises. You put him in remembrance. In the Hebrides, there was a godly leader, a blacksmith, in a prayer meeting. He said there was nothing happening. And he basically says, now look, God. You said that you would pour it out on the thirsty in the dry land, Isaiah 44, 3. And as far as I can tell, we're thirsty and dry and you're not doing your job. This is what he prayed. Now your honor is at stake, Lord. Are you going to move or not? And they said, in, the eyewitnesses said that when he prayed that, it came in like a mighty rushing wind and the building literally shook like it did in the book of Acts. People begin to fall on their face and they begin to weep and they begin to cry out to God and many were saved and it, and it spread. I want to give you two quick examples of some people who really contended throughout history. The first one's this guy named uh, Father Daniel Nash. I've actually talked about this guy before. You put his picture up there for me. Good looking guy. <clears throat> That's the only picture I can find of him right there. But Charles Finney was a guy that preached in the Second Great Awakening. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved. But what Charles Finney would do is he would deploy this man. If he was going into a town, he would deploy this guy three, two or three weeks in advance. This guy would maybe rent a hotel, maybe he'd stay in the woods. They said he would pray for two or three weeks. He would go into town, he would get a list of the names of what people said were the worst sinners in the town. And he would say, Lord, I'm calling the Holy Spirit on these men. I'm asking you to convict them to where they cannot sleep. I'm binding up every demonic power that, that has been tormenting them and holding them back from the truth. I'm asking you to remove the blinders from their eyes. And I'm praying that conviction would set on them and their, this entire town. And he would pray and people would think he was insane because they'd find him in the woods rolling and praying. And when Charles Finney would show up into town, oftentimes they said he would just stand up behind the pulpit and people would begin to weep and mourn and cry out to God before he even said a word. They said, history says, that whenever Daniel Nash died and he stopped going in to pray for Charles Finney and his ministry, that most of the power in Charles Finney's ministry left and he became a pastor in New York and just sat and pastored the rest of his life. But up until that point, he could walk into a place and the power of God would just fall as soon as he speak. Didn't even preach that good a message. Theologians thought he was a terrible preacher, thought his doctrine was all wrong. But the power of God showed up. Whenever he was there because of this man. There's another, another couple here. These, these women at the Hebrides Revival. That's Duncan Campbell in the middle. And these two old women. Listen to this. The woman on the left was blind. The woman on the right was so ill that she, that she couldn't leave her house. So they were two sisters, Christine and Peggy Smith. They stayed in their house. They would have church services. And they'd say, well, we can't, uh, we can't come to church services. We're too bad off. But we can pray. We can touch heaven. And they would pray every night. From 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. 
And they continued praying and interceding that God would move. And their ability to hear from God was unreal. Matter of fact, uh, Duncan Campbell writes this book, The Guy in the Center. And he tells, he tells a story about how they could hear from God because they, they were praying for revival. And, and they told one of the local ministers, they said, listen, God's told us it's coming. We just need to do some preparation work. And they said, Duncan Campbell's going to be here soon. And the, and the pastor said, oh, well, if he's, if he's coming, I'll call him. I'll get up with him. So he gets up with him and he talks to him. And he says, hey, uh, you're, you're coming down here, right? And he said, what are you talking about? He said, well, these two ladies said, said you're, coming, you're coming down to the Hebrides. And he said, no, no, I got something scheduled. I'm going down here. And they went, the guy went back, told the women, said, he said he's not coming. He's got something else scheduled. She, they, they both said, he's just not heard from God yet. He'll be here in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks later, the guy is on a train on his way to another place. He hears from God, you need to get off this train. You need to get on this train. You've got to go to the Hebrides. He shows up the day that the women said he was going to be there. Then the revival starts to break out a little bit here and there. And the Hebrides are islands off of Scotland. And, and, and it's, it would move from island to island. And they told him, they said, hey, Duncan, you need to go down to this place because there's a lot of religious, like there's a, get, get this guys, there's a lot of church people that didn't like what was going on. Too many people were getting saved. The churches were too full and there's too much passion. <laughs> Terrible thing. So in that island, they didn't like it. And so they said, listen, we've prayed. There's seven men that are going to get saved in this town. They're, they're going to become pillars in the church in that area, and revival's going to break out there too. You need to go there. He said, I don't have any witness of the Spirit. I don't think that's where I need to go. They said, well, if you could hear from God like we could, you'd already been there. <laughs> I need some old women that pray like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they just come up to me and say, Clay, if you could hear from God like I do, I mean, you'd already done this. <laughs> uh, so... He ends up praying. He goes. Guess what? Seven men get saved there. They become pillars in the church. Revival breaks out in that area as well. They could just hear from God in amazing ways. And I've got story after story that I don't really have time to pray. I've got a lot of stories about whenever they were in this revival, there was a boy named, they called him Donald the Praying Teenager. But Duncan Campbell wrote that most of the greatest outpourings they ever had was from this 15-year-old boy when he would stand up to pray. That oftentimes he would go out to this boy's barn and one time he came in there sitting and he was praying with his Bible open. He said, excuse me, Mr. Campbell, I have an audience with the king. Would you please give me some time? And he made Mr. Campbell leave, and three hours later he walked out of the barn. And he said, I'm ready now. And he took him to a prayer meeting, and he said, would you, would you get up and pray? Would you get up and pray? And the boy get up and pray, and he just said, the, the, Duncan said, he just said, Father. And when he said, Father, the power of God hit the building, and people began to weep and repent and get saved. He just carried the presence and the power of God. Charles Finney 19th century evangelist, just like I said, Daniel Nash was praying in a place. And here's the thing, when, when people began to get saved, there's a lot of people that was against it. They didn't like it. People were leaving their jobs and going out to these meetings and getting saved. And, doing all, and, and there was a cotton mill in New York, and this, the, the manager of this cotton mill, he didn't like it. He didn't like the revival that was breaking out. He didn't like it, and everybody was against it. There was about 3,000 people working in this factory. Charles Finney is praying. Daniel Nash is praying. And they say, we need to go talk to the manager of this cotton mill that's against us so badly. So he goes into the cotton mill. When he goes in, he doesn't see the manager. And the story says that, that there's a few women over here that are also against it. They make a rude comment to him when he comes in, and they laugh at him. And he sees them, and he begins to pray 
to his heart to God, but he doesn't open his mouth, and he starts to walk toward them. And as he's walking toward these women, conviction sets in on them so bad that they fall to their knees and they begin to weep in repentance to God. And then it spreads throughout the cotton mill to where most of the people in there are crying and weeping before God. And then the manager shows up, runs out, realizes what's going on, and says, we got to shut the plant down. We need this man to tell us what we need to do. He preaches to him, and Charles Finney said he doesn't know if he'd seen such a great, powerful uh, service in all of his life. 3,000 people got saved in that cotton mill. Imagine that from men that were praying. And here's the thing. You can say this, and you can say, well, Clay, this is hype. This is, this is whatever. I mean, I don't know about all that. But my point is, okay, okay, you don't want to believe that. What will you believe God for? What will you believe God for? Will you believe him to save one of your family members? Will you believe him to, to use you to maybe lay hands on a sick person and it touch them and it touch their family? What will you believe God for? Because what I fear is that there's some folks that are believing God for absolutely nothing. And it's why they don't pray. Because our hearts are so filled with unbelief that we're completely content with simply going to church and going through the motions. God may move, God may not. God's sovereign, he'll do what he wants to do. Let me tell you something, God in his sovereignty has called you to pray. God in his sovereignty has called you to participate and co-labor with him in prayer. He's invited you and he's taught us that prayer can change nations. Prayer can change the world. So how do we begin, I'm closing, how do we begin to move in that direction? Number one, we've got to cultivate our biblical imaginations. When you read the Bible, I want you to read it and implant it onto your life. I want you to hear these stories and say, you know what, what could God actually do in our midst? What could God do in our church? What could God do in our family? I believe that we could go through a worship service. I, you know, they, they, there's stories that literally they would pray and seek God like that and call upon God and they would sense God's presence flood, and they would go outside after the service, and hundreds of people be gathered, just drawn to it. They don't even—they didn't even know why. They know. I'm telling you that God can draw people in if you'll—if you'll pray for them. So we got to cultivate our biblical imaginations because we could be living like a pauper when our God, when our when our Father's actually a billionaire. There's more to God, there's more in the kingdom than what, what, what we're actually functioning in. Psalm 145 verse 4 it says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Let me tell you something, we got more and more kids coming to our youth group. I want you to pray for our youth group that kids would not just come, but they, they would have an encounter with Jesus. Say amen to that. Not just that kids would come, forget kids coming. It's no good if they come, but they're not having a legitimate encounter with the power of Jesus Christ. And we've got young people here that are working with these youth, pouring out their spirit to try to minister to these kids. But man, we need a move of God. We need a move of God where, where, where they are convicted of sin. Where they come to repentance, where they're aware of their condition before God. And we can praise the works of God to another. Listen, I can remember some. I remember when God healed the. When I saw God heal the first person I've ever seen Him heal instantly. I remember when I, I saw God set set a young girl from China free, demonized beyond belief, delivered her. I remember when I saw God set set a man free, diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, just in a moment, completely delivered him. 
prayer and fasting. I remember going to India one time. Listen, I went to India. I prayed and fasted before I went. People were trying to talk me out of going because of certain circumstances. I was a young man, could barely preach. Didn't have a sense God gave a chicken, as Jeremy says. And I went. I was about 24 years old. I prayed. I said, God, should I go or should I stay? The Lord said, go. I went. And I'm praying, I'm fasting because I'm scared to death. I get an opportunity to speak before a bunch of, a bunch of high school and college age kids in India. Probably about 500 there. He said, I want you to preach and we're not even going to translate it because some of them are learning English and I want to say. And they were probably honestly thinking, well, this is just a kid. He ain't going to say nothing powerful anyway. So we're just going to test whether or not they can understand a hillbilly. And I got up there and trembling, scared to death. And I said, I said God, if you don't show up, nothing will happen. They won't even understand me. And I preached the gospel, and toward the end of it, I told them my testimony, and I just felt God flood the room. They flooded the altars. I saw 150 kids get saved up there that night, and they all just sat there and wept under the power of God. I walked off the stage. It had nothing to do with me by the time I was done, because afterward, 150 kids got saved. They got done. They all went set back down, every one of them weeping. The guy stood up and said, how many of you understood completely what he was saying? Only about half of the room raised their hands. Half of them didn't even understand what I was saying, but the power of God showed up. Is that real? You better believe it's real. We need the Word and the Spirit in our time like never before. And I'm telling you, the key, the thing that we're missing in the church today are hungry hearts that will pray. That's the thing that we're missing in the church today. In the Ulster Revival, they would pass Ireland where the Ulster Revival was breaking out to come to America. And they'd say when the boats would drive by, by uh, Ireland, the presence of God was so strong where that revival was. They'd drive by in boats to go to America. And conviction would hit people so heavy on the boats that the boatmen had to hire chaplains to lead these people to Jesus. Imagine the presence of God breaking out like that just because people are praying like crazy. Just because people are praying like crazy. That's what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to stir your biblical imagination for you to begin to persevere in prayer. You say, but Clay, I'm busy. Ah, bull. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this stuff this day. We use busyness as an excuse to literally bring idols into our lives. Amen. I know that's going to offend 12. We're going to cut down on numbers this week. I know, I, look, I don't, have, I don't have that much time either. I get it. I'm like John Piper, though. He said on the last day, the great day of the judgment, Facebook and twi Twitter are going to be helpful for one major thing. That is to prove that prayerlessness was not for lack of time. Imagine the time you spend binging Netflix. If you quit binging Netflix and pray instead just a couple of times, I mean just two times a week don't watch TV and pray instead. It would radically transform your life. Ra I ain't even saying give up the TV. I'm saying one night a week. Say we're just going to pray tonight. Something that stirs a new burning fire in your heart. Something that stirs. One day a week I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. One day a week I'm going to do something that stirs a new fire in my heart. Do something. One day a week I'm going to fast. Want something that just says, I know i, I got to have more than what I'm having. I'm not content with hearing a good message and Clay's starting to sound mean when he's preaching so it doesn't do me like it used to do. 
I promise I ain't going to be this mean next week. I honestly should have saved this sermon for the main end because now we're going to get into practical teaching on prayer the next few weeks. But for some reason, I felt like this was the kickstart we needed. And then we can teach into prayer on the weeks to come. We need a kickstart. We need a shock from God. Manhattan, the businessman's revival broke out. You can read about it. It's called the businessman's revival. They would pull up in boats in Manhattan, lower Manhattan. This is New York City, y'all. Pull up in boats. The power of God was so strong because businessmen were meeting and their workplaces. Don't use work and experience. You can pray at work. I promise you. I used to have a job just like everybody else. So I lay hands on sick folk at the county attorney's office. You know what I'm talking about? You can pray at work. You can take 15 minutes and close the bathroom door. Get in a stall. Sit on the toilet if you have to. I don't care. But you can pray. There's time. You're not that busy. And if you are that busy, you need to cut something out because God comes first. God comes first. Not your kids. Not your hobbies. See, we're discontent, but the problem is we're too distracted. Our discontent hasn't crystallized. It's not bothered us enough yet to move us into a place of prayer. And we need to pray that God gives us a burden. But see, they, that businessman's revival broke out. They would go into it. Power of God was so strong that literally when people were coming off the boat, preachers would be lined up down there because people would be so convicted that all they'd have to do is say, let me tell you about Jesus, and they'd get saved walking off the boat. Imagine that. Imagine you having tilled up the ground. See, this is why, number two, we've got to prepare. Hosea 10, 12 says, sow, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. We've got hardened hearts that don't even have a desire for prayer. For it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. I told you last week, I believe God wants to rain on some of you like you've never even imagined. Some of you, if you will respond to this, you'll be in your bedroom one night and God will pour His Spirit out in love and you will experience something that will forever change your life. He'll rain on you if you'll break up the fallow ground. But there's unplowed ground we've got to prepare for because I'm telling you, if God didn't move on us like this, we wouldn't be able to handle it right now. We're not spiritually prepared for a move like that. I'm not even saying it's going to happen next month. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. What I'm saying is we need to become the kind of people that this seeking heart, this prayerful heart just gets in our DNA. That City of Hope Church and this, this body of believers is known. Like, you know, you want us to be able to seek God, you go down there, then people are crazy for God. I mean, there are some praying outfits. That's what I want to be known for. Because here's the thing, you know what the church can do? I know I'm lingering, but I'm just feeling the groove right now. It's late. We'll linger in the presence of God this morning. Church is getting really good, and honestly, we do it pretty well too, like at production. You go to some churches, man, they can produce. I mean, we can produce. You come in here, the music's great, isn't it? Like, it's unbelievable. And we get really, the videos we make, unbelievable. I'm all for production. I like going into a church service and it just seamlessly flows and it's nice. But you know, let me tell you something, production never saved a soul. The power of God. Paul said, when I came to the Corinthian church, I did not come with persuasive words of man's wisdom. I didn't come with a light show and production. I didn't come with the best music. Matter of fact, he never even played an instrument. I didn't come with the greatest sound or even excellent sermons. My sermons weren't even that great. But I came to you in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. When I came, the power of God came with me. You know why? He was a praying man.
He was a praying man. Number three, ask God for a burden. I've been praying about this in my own life here lately because I've just been wanting God's burden. We had a prayer meeting. We have prayer meetings, by the way, every Saturday morning. Richard puts it on our, on our thing there. It's a Zoom call. I think we had about five people on it this Saturday. We've been doing it since 2020. But Richard started praying. And I'm going to tell you something. You need somebody to pray for you, call that dude. He'll pray for you. He's not one of them ones that says prayers. He's one of them ones that just prays. Amen. That was another convicting thing. I'm being so rude this morning. But he, he called out a guy's name that honestly I've been in conversation with over the last little bit. And he started to pray. And as he's praying, his voice starts to crack. And he starts to cry right there. On five people just praying on a Zoom meeting. And when he started to cry, the Lord said to me, I'm starting to do it. I'm starting to do a work. I'll start to give you a burden. I'll start to give other people a burden. So you need to ask God for God, give me a burden for the things that you see that you're not pleased with. Give me a burden for lost souls that need you. And I need to pray like Daniel Nash. God, sick the Holy Spirit on them like a hound dog. God, draw them. Let fire burn this out of their hearts. And we need to, we need to believe once again that God can save these people. That God can move in their hearts, can convict them, can draw them. Ask God for a burden. And lastly, pray. Amen. I want you to bow your heads this morning. You're here this morning. It's the time. I'm serious. It is the time that that you just relinquish control and you let God have His way. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you right now is the time to do it. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And as strong as my voice has been, I promise you it has been in love this morning. Been in nothing but love because I know the heart of God for you. And he's just asking some people to say, hey, would you let that go this morning? Come to me. Let me give you the salvation that only I can offer. Begin this process right now. Walk with me. If that's you this morning, as an act of faith, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm ready to break this thing. I'm ready to move forward with God. I see one. I see two. Anybody else? I want to pray for just those two. And I want you to pray with me. Would you pray not just for these two that just raised their hand, but for other people that you know need salvation? God, we pray right now. I know, Holy Spirit, that you've moved in hearts, that you've said, I'm calling you by name. And the Lord says that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And so, Lord, right now we corporately, we confess our sins to you this morning. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, in all the things we've done and all of the things that we failed to do, Lord God, we are asking for forgiveness because this world is entering into such a dark place that if we don't seek your face, Lord God, we're going to get caught up in the sway of darkness. But Lord, right now in these two lives, Lord, and so many other people that need your salvation, we're praying, Holy Spirit, that you do a work in their heart right now. You cleanse them in your blood. You draw them by your Spirit into a deep relationship with you, God. You put a fire in their heart even now. Holy Spirit, bring the kingdom of God upon them right now. Save their souls. Save their family. Move in our families, Lord God. Burn a fire in our heart and stir and kindle that fire like never before we pray, God. Lord, teach us to pray. 
Move us, Holy Spirit, throughout the day. Monday, Tuesday, move us to a place where we pray, God, that you would do your works in our time and move in our time. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, we're just going to respond. I don't know if I was you. After a sermon about prayer, I'd probably pray. (laughs) But let's stand to our feet. You can kneel at your chair. You can come to this altar. And let me say this. If you need prayer for something, anything, some of you, if you all raise your hand, you want want us to pray for you, I would love to pray for you. But let's just take a moment to respond to the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray and seek the face of the Lord as they they sing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on now, respond to the Lord. Don't look at anybody else. Look within. Let the Lord search your heart this morning. Let the Lord search your heart this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Thank you, Lord.
you just lift your hands to the Lord one more time? <clears throat> just ask Him to give you a burden. Lord, just give us that burden. Give us that burden of your heart for the souls around us, God, and let us be stirred in prayer once again to believe that this is the weapon, God, that you've given us to bring about change in our world. One guy said history belongs to the intercessors that cause the future that God has into being in the right now. And, Lord, that's what we want. God, I pray you stir a passion and a burden. I pray, Lord, that throughout our week, Lord God, we would be able to seek your face and pray like never before. And that, God, your prayers would move things in our own hearts, Lord God, and it would break out into our families, into our church, into our community. Lord, I pray that we would begin to be so, such carriers of your presence through the week. That when we meet in here corporately together, Father, your presence would just be manifested in our midst. And we would know, God, that you're here to meet us. Lord, don't let this be the only place we come and call upon your name. Lord, let us call upon your name when we wake up in the morning. Let us call upon your name at lunch when, we, when we're at work. God, let us call upon your name midday. Let us call upon the name of Jesus in the evening with our children. Let us call upon the name of Jesus as we lie down. Lord, let us call out the names of lost souls to you, Lord, throughout the day, saying, God, release your spirit. Release your kingdom on these people and draw them to repentance, God. Lord, you want to bring a harvest. You want to pour out your rain. So I pray, God, stir in hearts, Lord God, your fire to move in our midst, Lord Jesus. We love you, God, and we need you. And Lord, we believe that you're going to do greater things than ever before. I believe even right now, God, you're breaking up that fallow ground in our hearts. And so we pray, God, break that up in our hearts, Lord God. Give us tender hearts. And God, give us a hunger for your presence. There is nothing better than your presence. Nothing this world can offer that is better than your presence. Let us know and understand that, God, that the things we say are making us busy are really just techniques of the enemy to pull us away from you. God, give us the strategy moving forward, the blueprint for how we move forward and seek your face faithfully. We love you. We trust what you're going to do. I bless each and every person in here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Wednesday night, right here. So if you're interested in that, I'd say this sermon probably helped you be a little bit more interested. <laughs> Got one laugh. Everybody else will be like, I don't know if I want to go to that or not. But prayer meeting Wednesday night, tomorrow night, trunk or treat. We'll probably get down here whenever these kids are coming through and these goblins and stuff and just pray over them too as well. Amen. But we love you guys. I love you guys. Be in prayer for me. I mean, I need to hear from the Lord for myself. If you ain't got nothing else to pray, I'll take prayer. Amen. The other day, say, Lord, would you just bless my pastor, Clay? He's preaching like a wild man right now. And he needs the love of God in his heart. And pray over me and bless you. But, but uh, you know what? Since we're lingering, we're, uh, I, I'm telling you, when the game clock's low, you call for Hail Marys, right? Put your hand on your neighbor before we leave. You need to learn how to pray for other people. Just begin to pray for them. Say, Lord, bless my brother, bless my sister, bless my family. Lord, pour your spirit out in their hearts. Anoint them and strengthen them. 
Lord God, if there's any sorrow in their heart, if there's any sickness in their body, if there's any wound, God, in their soul, Lord, if there's any fear in their mind, Lord God, heal it and remove it right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, fill the depths of their soul with your Holy Spirit, with your love, God, that covers a multitude of sin, with your joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, and give them a peace of mind that passes all understanding. And Lord God, I pray that you put a fire in their heart. God, give them a prayer life. Give them a hunger for your word like never before. Lord, help them to walk with you and walk in the Spirit day by day. Bless their going in and their coming out. Bless them when they're in their workplace. Bless them when they're in their home, God. Pour your Spirit out on their life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.